Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. So, no more exile talk. No more exile. But the question comes, are we going to make it? Do you think we're going to make it? What are the uh, threats and challenges, do you think, that militate against that? Uh, What do you see as some of the threats that challenge the peace and security and welfare of this world, of this nation, of this community? Uh, There are the obvious uh, macro threats like state-sponsored terrorism, places like Iran and and, uh, Russia trying to interfere in everybody's uh, elections. Um, uh, The... the, um, Intelligence communities at least don't consider that to be a hoax. Uh, they've taken it quite seriously. And uh, we pray that uh, your election, Merrily, will, will actually be uh, carried on appropriately and, uh, and uh, with, all, uh, with all safety and justice. And, uh, and I hope you voted. <laughs> You're the only one in this room that can do that. So uh, we, we, our prayers are with your, your nation and your family down in Colorado. Uh, but we have the macro threats, but what about some of the other threats or uh, challenges that, that we face? Um, um, how many of you uh, happen to see the paper? Uh, this paper is way too big. You know, when I, when I used to commute to work in Toronto, I'd, I'd always get the Toronto sun, and it wasn't because of the sunshine girl, okay? It was because you could actually hold the thing and, and read it without, you know, smacking into the next person. This would be impossible on the TTC, but quite revealing in terms of the reporting on uh, the march that took place a week ago. And, uh, wow. Very, very interesting, some of the things. You know, when people are guided by, and I'm going to say it flat out, disinformation, that can put us all at risk. And uh, I don't think anybody should be terribly happy with that. I want to ask this young lady uh, who says, courage is, uh, is risky, have some, or have, have some, freedom is risky, have some courage. Courage to do what? What would I do that would prove that, that I, I was free? Rip off a mask and run amok in the crowd and hug everybody and kiss everybody? Well, that would be problematic right there, wouldn't it? I think this young lady should turn to the side, go get a few cookies. They're only $5 for two. And, uh, and go ahead and enjoy them. Um, this sign is particularly offensive. And if you've got um, you know, relatives and, and people in your past, grandparents... Um, that had to deal with the real terror of Nazi Germany. And this guy has the gall to say, if you ever wondered whether you would have complied in Nazi Germany, now you know. Because you're wearing one of these things, folks. Give me a break. Give me a break. This is particularly offensive. And, and let me ask the question. The, the question, I, I realize none of the marchers are here, so it's rhetorical but I put it out there for our consideration as we have these things happening right around us. Let let me ask, uh, the particularly 
and, and purported Jesus followers in this crowd? Did this march in any way bless this community? Did it bless those who were in authority? Um, one of the organizers calls this town, refers to this town as authoritarian. Does this lady actually know what authoritarianism uh, is and how it behaves? If this town had been authoritarian, these people would have been piled into paddy wagons and taken who knows where. Give me a break. <laughs> Seriously. But, but was there any intent to bless those in authority, bless the community? Uh, was there any interest in drawing anyone at all to Jesus? Because there were a whole lot of church people there. Uh, <laughs> looks, uh, you know, judging by the dress. And that, that guy whose uh, sign is, is backwards, don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. By asking you to behave in a safe and, and uh, respectful way, really. Uh, of course, inviting people to Jesus or blessing the community or the, the leadership of the community, that, that wasn't the intent anyway, was it? It was to assert and demand my rights. And my challenge to folks like this remains. Show me where you find this, especially the Jesus followers, purported Jesus followers there. Show me where you find this in the Bible or in the example of Jesus. And uh, I, I'm still waiting. I think I'll be waiting for a very long time because you're not going to find it. And of course, to move out from our community to some of the risks facing your country tomorrow, merrily, um, armed militias. Interesting. What are these guys doing? They, they say they're protecting people. Give me a break. I'm glad we're not allowed to open carry. I really am. It's, it's very... Very sad, what's taking place. So, question, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? This frog seems to think that uh, sometimes all you can do is just hang on. Well, I, I say no. We can do better than just hang on. Not hang on, not merely take matters into our own hands, and certainly not believing and promoting dangerous nonsense. And no, not attacking people who seek to protect us. These are crazy and they're dangerous times and divided times. So what are the people of God, the true church of God, going to need to depend on and practice and promote in times like these? Indeed, are we going to make it? And uh, the answer is yes, we are. We are. Isn't that good news? And all God's people whispered, Amen, or honked your horns, or did something. Go outside and honk your horn, come on back in. And, and in view of this, yes, I'm going to begin today a series of who knows how many messages in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which sums up all of the Bible, all the Revelation you and I will ever need. Now, I'm going to do my best to let the text speak for itself. I'm not going to be superimposing a pre-baked grid on the book that uh, tells me what it means before I consider the text. I'm going to consider the context, and one of the things we're going to be doing is, is really delving back. My wife sometimes says, why don't you preach a little more from the Old Testament? Well, when you're in the book of Revelation, my brothers and sisters, you're in the Old Testament a lot because so much of the language and, and allusion and all of that comes from 
so much of the Old Testament. And that's why I say this book really, as the last book of the Bible, sums up the whole Bible, providing the language that God uses to get across this God-given summation of what we need to know and understand and heed in our day, just as the original readers and hearers needed. And they needed it. And it's not always going to be pleasant or easy. But God promises that you will indeed make it. That's his promise. He promises that. And, and right out of the gate, the book of Revelation, in, in the introductory, powerfully pregnant words, God promises blessing. Revelation begins with a blessing. I think that's, that's, that's just the way God is. Isn't it? To say, I, I got some things to tell you, but first thing you need to know is I want to bless you. I want to bless you. And this is how you get in on the blessing. Revelation begins with a blessing. And those who receive blessing, by the way, are not intended to simply hoard it for themselves, but are intended to amplify that blessing that they receive to all others. And not just hoard it. So, let's get to it. Is that enough for uh, a little introductory? Sure it is. Let's get to the text. So, the first word is... Revelation. Revelation. What's a revelation? And, and, and that word is the word apocalypsis. And we get the word apocalypse from it. Now, the way we use the word apocalypse, you know, uh, think of some horrible thing that happens, some pestilence, Ebola, that's apocalyptic. Or, or some, some terrible situation, this pandemic, apocalyptic we call it. Um, and that's how we use the word, but that's not really... Uh, what the word conveys primarily. The first, this first word uh, is, is an unveiling, like peeling back the curtains. You're going to see something that you wouldn't see unless God revealed it. And so we have this word revelation. Now, uh, some of your versions will say the revelation or a revelation a uh, little, little Greek grammar lesson for you, and then I'll move on quickly. But there is no definite article. There is no the in front of this in the original. It's just apocalypsis, revelation. Now, you could translate it a revelation. Among many, a revelations. But no, uh, when the Greek does not stick a the in front of it, in front of a word... Very often, and context will determine this very often, it stresses the pristine and unequaled quality of what is being revealed, or in this case, who is being revealed to us. It's not a revelation, but the superlative unveiling of Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, who spoke the first word of creation, and who will speak the last word of redemption and, and consummation. In this book, you meet Jesus again, so to speak, for the first time. This is Jesus revealed to us as He is for us, now and into the future. And the revelation of Jesus was so shocking that, as you'll see later in this chapter, it knocks John right flat in his back, well, actually flat in his face. I fell at his, face, at his feet as though dead, he will say. So, blessing 
First of all, for all who know the one who is revealed. The one who is revealed. And so everything, then the one revealed is Jesus the Messiah. You see, everything you will ever need to know and experience. And knowing and experience go hand in hand. It's not just packing info up into here, but knowing so as to experience. And everything you will ever need to know and experience concerning what Jesus' Messiahship must mean to you if you plan on making it is revealed in this last book of the Bible. You'll, you'll see him as suffering, as the lamb slain, or the one who has suffered, not, no longer suffering. But you will see his wounds still there. What's that hymn we sing? Uh, oh, well, never mind. I'll ask Miriam later. I'm, I'm thinking of something and I can't quite place it. But you see the one who, as the Lamb of God, suffered. And you see the one who, as the Lion of the victorious tribe of Judah, uh, reigning past, present, and future. It's, it's all here. It's all here. Um, kind of almost in a way repackaged in a fresh and vibrant way for those who were really wondering, are we going to make it? Going through what they were. So blessing here. Right out of the gate for, for all who know Him, who love Him, and who serve Him, who have experienced all that they need to in terms of what he, who He is and what He has done. But, but who's it for? Who's it for? This, this unequaled and pristine revelation of Jesus. Who's it for? Is it for the first century believers only? Uh, there's a school of thought known as preterism, which means past. Pastism, if I can call it that way. Uh, that school of thought basically says that pretty well everything in the book is fulfilled. And uh, without going into, and you're going, huh? How could they say that? Uh, they do, and it's a serious um, approach, but um, I just here to tell you I don't I don't buy it for a lot of reasons. But but was it for the first century believers? Well, only no. But for them, yes. But but um, but then, you know, what about perhaps perhaps it's for them. But then um, what follows the third chapter must only relate to, the, to those yet future to us in a final time of tribulation just prior to the second coming. That's known as futurism. And so the first three chapters, that was for them, and, and we kind of, you know, hang on to their coattails. But everything after chapter four uh, has, in effect, no real relevance to us because it hasn't happened yet and, uh, and all of that. So that's called futurism. And again, for reasons not gone into right now, I don't accept that view either. Or, is it for all of us in every age from the time of writing up to and including those who are alive and, and remain at the royal arrival of Jesus? Who's this book for? Well, it says God gave it to him, to Jesus, to show his servants what must soon take place. His servants are not here specified by any particular time or place, so it stands to reason that this is a revelation, an unveiling, a prophecy, and an epistle for God's servants in every age, past, present, and future. It concerns things that we need to know in order, in terms of the things which must 
happen soon or quickly. And much more on that in coming messages. But what God's servants need to, really need to grapple with then and now is how to, how to read this revelation. How to understand this, this unveiling of Jesus and how to read this prophecy. But not just to read it and uh, pack facts in their head and then be able to draw fancy charts of end times. But rather, you see, it's always about heeding it. There's so much concern uh, in debates over end time stuff about being right. Well, the, the, the whole idea is not to be right, but to be right. You, you understand what I mean. There's lots of debate, lots of difference of opinion, but at the end of the day, are we right in terms of our relationship and our discipleship and obedience to the one who is revealed? That's really what is key. But now, in terms of how to read this book, how to deal with it, I'm going to suggest that the specific language that is used in this first verse, along with the backdrop of Daniel chapter 2, will help us greatly. Um, they, they have a, there's a group called Answers in Genesis. I, I, I'm developing a new one, Answers in Daniel. Because uh, Daniel sure helps us understand a lot of stuff. And he raises a few questions of his own too. But, but in, in Revelation, as I'm going to show you, you have a revelation, an unveiling of Jesus. And this is a revelation that God is showing people. And little heads up, the word here used, translated show, uh, is indicative of the fact that what is going to be shown is predominantly symbolic in nature requiring some skill in how to deal with the symbolic. But you have a revelation that God showed concerning things that will soon, must soon, and quickly take place. And then this, he signified it by sending a message through his angel to, to his servant John. Uh, he signified it. Now, the Greek word is semino, but so what? What does that mean? It means symbolized. Hmm, symbolized. Now, to be fair, some translations render this simply, he communicated to John. But I'm going to suggest to you that this word carries with it the idea of symbolic uh, communication. Um, and Daniel's the one that helps us to understand that. Because in Daniel... You know, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream in chapter 2. And he wants his wise men to tell him the dream, never mind, then tell him what it means. And do you know what he dreamed? What did he see? He saw a multi-metal image. Head of gold. Chest of silver. Arms and torso of bronze. And legs of iron and so on. That's what he saw. So, Daniel is given the wisdom and the understanding and he goes to the king and he says to the king, there's a God of heaven who reveals mysteries. He reveals. And he reveals mysteries and is now dis disclosing to the king 
what will happen at the end of days. So in Daniel, you have a God who reveals mysteries, which he is now showing concerning things that are soon to take place. And, uh, and, and how did he reveal it? He revealed it by dreams and visions. The dreams and visions that you had in your head. He, he, he revealed it by way of non-literal dream vision. And that sounds like, man, this is going to be a confusing exercise. If it's all symbolic and, you know, just, just why don't you say what you mean? You know? And we'll get to that. But down towards the end of Daniel 2, it says, the great God has informed the king what shall be hereafter. Now, here's the thing about that word informed. As the Jewish people lost the capacity to speak Hebrew, it was a translation of their scriptures made in a century or so before Jesus. And it was the Bible used in Jesus' day. And guess what the word is that my version is calling reformed? It's informed. Samino. And so you see, the way that God... Uh, spoke to Daniel, or spoke through Daniel to the king, uh, he signified what he is going to do by way of a symbolic vision of this great multi-metal monument. So, what does this background in Daniel and John's use of that word now signify in terms of how to read Revelation? You know, many of us have been taught that when we read the Bible, we must interpret it literally unless it is abundantly clear that some other more non-literal or metaphoric or symbolic approach is, is warranted. Well, God is basically making it abundantly clear here uh, through John that we are in fact to approach this book and interpret it symbolically unless it is absolutely clear that something more like literal is warranted by the text. And when you think about it, don't we communicate like this all the time? Sure we do. Is this literal or symbolic? I love you to the moon and back. I, I, I can just see Ralph Cramden, to the moon, Alice! You know? But, but for, for this to be barefaced, factual, literal, it would require the lover to make an 800,000 kilometer round trip to the moon, around it, and back in order to prove that the lover loves the beloved. There's only 24 people that have ever made that trip. And uh, it wasn't about love. It was science, man. I love you to the moon and back. We, we, we speak this way. How about this? It's raining cats and dogs. Now, what are you to make of that? <laughs> like, imagine. You know, if we're talking literally... Then, then that's what, you know, and I, and I don't think that, you know, we want to see a bunch of cute little felines and, and, and canines drop from the sky, splat all over the sidewalk. That, that, but that's not what we mean. But we know what we mean. I mean, imagine that. And isn't that the point? That's what we need to do. That's what we do when we say this. And we are creating an image. And earlier it was raining cats and dogs, wasn't it? It was a downpour. And we know what we mean. It's, it, it's kind of obvious. And, and you know, God speaks symbolically too. God speaks symbolically. Truly the one who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of my eye. Now, 
you know, to, to touch Israel. Is anybody willing to go up and poke God in the eye? Uh, but that's not what is intended. Apple of my eye, are the, my pupil and iris, um, you are that precious to me. This is symbolic language meant to uh, elevate our imagination in a way that, uh, you know, flat language just doesn't do. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Now that, that would hurt if it was just bare factual literal, but God speaks symbolically in a way that evokes our imaginations in order to inspire awe and profound faith and love. See, the symbolic aspect does not obscure meaning, but rather communicates it in such a way as to engage our hearts as well as our intellects. And indeed, you know, intellect without imagination is really pretty sterile, isn't it? I'm glad God speaks to us in this way. And, and I mean, have you ever seen this? The World Series is just over. Have you ever seen this? Baseball coach. What do they do? They send non-literal signal to the guy at bat. And the batter interprets it symbolically. He's not supposed to go, oh, have I got something on my nose? Uh, do you want me to pick my nose? Is that what you're saying, coach? Uh, I'm, I'm not here to do that. Come on. That, but, but it's symbolic, isn't it? And I don't know what this symbol means. I don't know if he's being told to bunt or to swing for the stands. I don't know, but the batter knows. And how does the batter know? He knows from prior instruction and prior coaching. Well, how would the folks in the first century know how to read the symbolic communication found in Revelation? Same way. By coaching and teaching in the Scriptures. They had the Old Testament. That's the scriptural milieu in which they lived and breathed. They knew the Old Testament. And they lived in the days following the fulfillment of so much prophecy and narrative concerning Jesus. And we have the very same resources that they did. We have the same resources. We communicate symbolically all the time, and so does God. And that's what makes the communication found in this, a book like this so interesting and colorful. And one of the things you've got to say about the book of Revelation, when's the last time you read the thing? Read it even straight through, one sitting. But it sure is colorful. It sure is intense. But, you know, wouldn't it have been better? And, and less controversial. If, if God had just literally said what he meant, why, why did God communicate symbolically? You could ask Jesus the same question. Why did you teach in parables? Why did you do that? And Jesus said it's, it's so that those with eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive would heed the message and get in on the blessings of the kingdom. That's why he did it. He tells us that's why he did it. This is why I speak in parables, so that they may look and not see. Those whose hearts are not engaged, those whose hearts are not in, in the language of one of his parables, good soil. They, could, they will look and they won't see. They'll hear and they won't understand or take it in. Isaiah's prophecy about that kind of thing is, in fact, coming true in that. Jesus communicated in such a way 
that those with seeking and honest and open hearts would get in on the blessing that he was bringing. And sometimes, yes, Jesus would have to interpret a parable for us. Aren't you glad he did that too? But you get the same thing happening in Revelation. How often do you read, if anyone has ears, let them hear. And the, the very last chapter has these words. Don't seal up the words of this prophecy, of this book. The time is near, you see. But here's the thing. Let the unjust go on being unjust. And the filthy go on being filthy. And let the just go on doing justice. Let the holy still be holy. You see, the point is this. You see how critical it is. And to understand that you are the recipient of this revelation, just as those who first read and heard it were, you need to know the one that's being revealed. You need to know how to read the signals that God is sending and, know, and, and, and then determine in your heart that you want in on the blessing. And well, folks, there are some things that are difficult to understand. There's an awful lot that is crystal clear. Crystal clear. And since this book is presented to us as one that in reading it and heeding it contains a blessing, why would we not engage with it? Why would we not expand our hearts and imaginations to take in this unveiling of Jesus, the Messiah? God's blessing, it says, on the one who reads the words of this prophecy and on those who keep them and hear them and keep what is written in it. See, here's the thing. The people, for those in, in the first century undergoing hardship, and even persecution for affirming that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord, and who are ordering their lives accordingly, to know that the blessing of the God who is revealing His King and kingdom to them must have made all the difference. Because yes, He would say to them, and He says to us, yes, my faithful brothers and sisters, you are. You are going to make it. Now one thing that these first receivers of blessing did not do, perhaps because they couldn't, was to make signs and march in the seven cities of Asia demanding that the government get off their backs. Rome, you see, was a truly repressive and authoritarian regime whose army would have cracked down on such activity in a heartbeat with deadly force. But it's never been our mandate to demand our rights, but to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who persecute and despitefully use us. We are people of the blessing. Don't let yourself be anything less than that. Don't let yourself. See, this book issues a blessing for all who know the one who is revealed, who understand that it's for them. And we're given clues as to how to read it, but then how to heed it. Now, this is a, a, an apocalypse, an unveiling of Jesus. It's a prophecy and it's an epistle, a letter. It's three in one. You know, I always, when I go to the store, I'm looking for something to wash my hair with. I don't buy the fancy. I just get the three in one body wash and that, that just does the trick. And, and you can see what it's done for my, my hair over the years. Uh, 
But I, I, I like the three-in-one, and I like the three-in-one that this book presents. It's a three-in-one. And yes, it was an epistle sent initially to seven churches in western Turkey, and the text there, as we will see, uh, will show that, uh, that it's for every church in every age that's been called into being by Jesus, who is the Lord of the church. And the chapters that follow have a lot more in terms of how to hear and to heed this prophecy, and we'll get to that in due course. We're also going to learn in symbolic terms the ways that Jesus is rolling out human history from the time of writing onwards to our very day and beyond, and we will learn exactly and come to understand who our enemies are and how to resist them and much, much more. So may we read and heed all the revelation we will ever need to live faithfully now and into God's good future. What do you say? What do you say? Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.